about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Sam, and I'll be doing the Bible reading now. So if you'd like to flip your Bibles open to Philippians chapter 2, page 100, uh, 1162 in your pew Bibles. And I'll be reading from verse 5 to 11. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So as everybody's digesting their food, uh, I can lull you to sleep with with a few words. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll uh, get to grips with that passage, Philippians chapter 2. It's probably my favorite paragraph, but it's between that and Colossians 1 as my favorite paragraph in all the Bible. And uh, it's taken from an ancient hymn that people were singing uh, just years after Jesus lived, died, rose again, and uh, went back to heaven. And so this is Christianity 101. This is stripping everything back to basics. And here we we just get it straight. Um, This is all you need to know about reality according to Jesus. So uh, I think this is brilliant as a refresher if you're a Christian. Uh, let's get back to reality. Let's, let's get back to seeing all of life through the lens of Jesus um, because our vision gets shaped by a, a hundred different things during a week and my vision gets taken off Jesus and my vision gets warped and distorted in a hundred different ways and so, so does yours. Uh, but also, if you're just investigating Christian things, uh, here is what you need to know. Here is... Uh, a long black Jesus. This is, this is just no milk, no sugar, just concentrated Jesus goodness. And uh, you'll get to figure out if this Jesus guy is for you. And, and my prayer has been uh, all week, as I've been thinking about uh, tonight, as I've been thinking about today preaching, my prayer has been that uh, people will encounter the real Jesus and you'll say to yourself, oh my goodness, this Jesus guy, if this is what God's like, I'm in. Because um, that's, that's kind of how I became a Christian uh, about 20 years ago. Someone was taking me through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus. And I remember getting halfway through Luke's Gospel and just thinking, my, thinking to myself, if this is what Jesus, if this is what God is like, then I'm in. If this Jesus who stoops, serves, suffers, bleeds, and dies, if this is God, okay, I'm in. You got me. And, uh, and I became a Christian and, and I've been shooting my mouth off about Jesus ever since then. So my prayer is that we would all do the same and, and just whether for the first time or the thousandth time, we'd see Jesus afresh and have our lives turned right side up. Uh, but as I begin uh, this evening thinking about the, the Jesus story, let me ask you a question about life. 
what do you think life is? Is life a comedy or is it a tragedy? What is life, a comedy or a tragedy? And uh, as I ask that question, I'm, I'm not asking the question, is life a barrel of laughs? Life is not a barrel of laughs. If you've lived for any length of time, you know that life is not a laugh a minute, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking not so much about the content of your life, how many gags are there versus how much pain is there. I'm asking the question about the shape of life, because comedy and tragedy have technical literary meanings. Okay, Dante, uh, the medieval poet who wrote the Divine Comedy, he said, well, a comedy is a story that begins in pain and ends in joy. So you can think of the shape of it as like a smile. That, that helps you remember. A comedy is like a smile. Okay? You go down into the pit. Everything is darkness and blackness and horrible. And how is anything ever good going to come out of this? And then somehow, victory is snatched from the jaws of defeat. And there is a happily ever after. And it's a comedy. Tragedy, said Dante, is a story that begins in joy and ends in pain. So it's shaped like a frowny face. Okay? You go up in the world and you... You think you're on top of things, and then you tumble down, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, and it's the pit, okay? So that's, that's a tragedy. Comedy and tragedy. Think of it in Shakespearean terms, okay? Tragedies um, can have jokes in them, uh, apparently. Um, uh, you were probably told by your high school English teacher, as I was told by my high school English, English teacher, uh, Hamlet here is making a joke, and I just wrote it down in my uh, exercise book. Hamlet is making a joke, apparently. And... Uh, and I put that in the exam, and I passed the exam, because, you know, apparently there are jokes in Hamlet, okay? Uh, but at the end of Hamlet, the corpses are piled up on the stage, and it's finishing with a funeral, so you know that it's a, a tragedy, okay? Uh, comedies, on the other hand, um, you know, your hands and thighs have not become leathery from being slapped together so much as you watch, I don't know, Midsummer Night's Dream or something. But at the end of these comedies, uh, there is... What, what happens at the end of a Shakespeare comedy? Anyone know? Wedding, always, always. In all 14 of Shakespeare's comedies, there is a wedding or sometimes four weddings. Okay, that's, that's the comedy happily ever after, right? So it's about the shape. The shape is tragedy, you climb up and tumble down. Comedy, you hit the, 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 the depths and then finish on a high. So let me ask my question again. What is life? Is life a tragedy or is it a comedy? And I think, if you take away this story, if you take away this book, if you take away this Jesus, life is tragic, right? Totally tragic. Unutterably tragic. Of course it's tragic. No matter how many highs there are, okay? Because my life ends in a funeral, and your life ends in a funeral. So if Shakespeare was writing your life as a play, what would they call it? They'd call it a tragedy, wouldn't they? Right? My life does not end with a wedding. My life ends with a funeral. So I call that tragedy. All literature calls that tragedy. The world calls that tragedy. And we do live with a tragic view of life, even though we gloss over it with lots of chintz and bling and sunshine and isn't it going to be fine. But, but actually, every advertiser is selling you a tragic view of life. And the tragic view of life is this. You need to grab and grasp and snatch and take and get you need all the experiences you can have. You need to tick off all the items on your bucket list. You need all the experiences, all the performances, all the money, all the travel, everything. You need to get on top and enjoy your brief moment in the sun because you're going to be over the hill soon. And then you'll tumble down into the grave. And that's that. 
That's the, that's the story that's sold in the world, isn't it? The story that's sold in the world, even though it's glossed over with all kinds of consumerism, the story is that you are a biological survival machine. You are a wet robot, okay? You're a biological survival machine clinging to an insignificant rock, hurtling for a meaningless universe towards eternal extinction. But Starbucks has a new flavored latte, so that's nice, isn't it? You know? We're doing up the kitchen, so that's something nice to look forward to. And, you know, I'm, I'm traveling this year, so isn't that nice? And all the while, you are a biological survival machine clinging to an insignificant rock, hurtling through a meaningless universe towards eternal extinction. What do you call that? Tragedy, right? And then maybe you think, oh, okay, Glenn, he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to strong arm me into religion, okay? He's, he's making me face the bleakness of the materialist worldview and he just wants to sell me on, on the, the glories of religion. Not really. Not really. Uh, because the religious story in general is pretty much a tragedy. It really is. You know, you, you go to more Eastern religions, and the great hope for these bodies and this world is not a happily ever after. There's, there's not a happily ever after for these bodies and this world. In Hinduism or, or Buddhism, you know, you dissolve into the ocean of being like a drop of water in the sea. Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no future for you. Nirvana is literally the word for being blown out, like a candle being blown out. Your own personal existence snuffed out. And so life is a grand tragedy, and there's, there's all sorts of adventure to that tragedy. There's all sorts of you know, heroic stepping forth into the void and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a tragic view of life. Maybe afterwards we could talk about other worldviews, and, and, and I think I could show you that the other worldviews are grand and noble, and there's lots to learn from them, but they are, uh, they are basically a tragic shape to life, that we raise ourselves up in the world and then tumble down to the grave, and that's that. Here's my contention. My contention is that every vision of life is tragic except this one. Jesus alone offers you the happily ever after. Only Jesus offers you a future for these bodies in this world. Only Jesus gives you the comedy. So does that give you some incentive to have a look at this passage, do you think? I, th I think that should give us great incentive to have a look. Because you, you might not think the Christian story is true, but I want you to want it to be true. I want you to think, you know, it, it would be a real shame if our one shot at the comedy turned out to be a fraud. Wouldn't that be a shame? You know, here we are, headed for the pit and you hear news. The cavalry is coming over the hill. Someone's come to save you. Wouldn't it be great if the someone coming over to, the sa over to save you was real, was genuine? You could put your trust in him. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be a real shame if you found that the one person who was promised to come over the hill and save you was just a myth? That would, that would be a real shame. So I, I, hope you, I hope you at least want this to be true, because this is your one shot at the comedy. Philippians chapter 2. And starting in verse 5, little number 5, uh, it gives us this comedy shape to life. Uh, Paul, uh, who's written half the New Testament, he's writing to a church in Philippi, that's in Greece, and he tells these guys, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, and now he's diving into the song. This is the song that everybody's singing back in the day. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Do you see the comedy shape? We're beginning with the comedy shape, aren't we? We're beginning on high, and we're 
heading downwards. That's the comedy shape, because according to Paul, Jesus Christ was there before the world began. According to Paul, Jesus Christ is not just the inventor of a religion, he's the inventor of the universe. And there he was in the beginning with someone called God here, we might say the Father. Christ Jesus is the Son, and there's another person, the Holy Spirit, who was there in the beginning. Christians believe that in the beginning there was light and life and love. There was a, a fountain of life. There was a Father pouring life into His Son in the joy of the Holy Spirit. There was this fountain of life, fountain of light, fountain of love. In the beginning, there, were, there was a good God. What an amazing thing to think, that we have come from love, we've been shaped by love, we're determined for love, destined to share in the life of love. That's the Christian vision. Pretty nice, isn't it? This is Christianity 101. We begin with Christ Jesus, so He is in very nature God, sharing in the glory of the Father, in the joy of the Holy Spirit, but He doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but makes himself nothing. That's amazing. We grasp at things, don't we? Because you and I, we naturally live the tragedy. We naturally think that life is about taking, getting, acquiring, climbing. And so we, we try to climb the ladder. We grab and scratch and take and kill and get on top. That's our whole life because we think we haven't got long. And so we live out the tragedy by living selfish lives, by grasping. Jesus lives the comedy. He's always lived the comedy. From before the foundation of the world, it's not been about grasping, but about receiving and pouring out. This is the life of Jesus. And so Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. I love, I love this verse. I misread this verse for many, many years. I think I used to read this as though it said, Jesus Christ, who in spite of being in the very nature of God, he humbled himself. Do you, ever, do you ever do that? Do you ever sort of insert that phrase in your thinking? You kind of think, Jesus, in spite of being fully God, he decided to do this really humble thing. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it's not very God-like, because he, he's fully God, but in, in spite of being God, he did this stooping, serving, suffering, bleeding, dying thing. Isn't that amazing? And do, you ever, do you ever fall into thinking like that? Even as Christians, we can fall into thinking like that, as though Jesus was taking a holiday from deity. When he, when he came to planet Earth, he was taking a 33-year departure from the divine life. He's a you know, long service leave. Okay? He's, just, just, he's, he's been at the whole God thing for quite some time now. He's on sabbatical. He just wants to you know, wander around planet Earth, you know, just, just being like the prince and the pauper myth. You know, just trying on the rags of our humanity just for a few years to see what it's like. And then he goes back to being the self-centered God that we imagine God is, right? That's not what these verse, the verses say. It's not in spite of being God, he serves. It's because he is God, therefore he serves. Being in very nature God, this is what the nature of, de of deity is. You know what the nature of God is? To humble yourself. What? What? A humble God? Well, well the Jesus God, he's, he's quite unique. The Jesus God is a humble God who expresses his deity by making himself nothing. And you think, well, isn't, that, isn't that weird? The God who is everything. How does he express his everythingness by making himself nothing? How does, how does that work? Well, if God is a fountain of life, 
where do you see that fountain expressed most fully? You see the fountain expressed when you see it poured out, don't you? You see the fountain when you see it poured out. You see God when you see Jesus humbling himself, pouring himself out with every drop of his blood. It's the most divine thing you've ever seen. The most divine thing you've ever seen is Jesus coming in rags. Jesus stooping to our level. Jesus stooping beneath our level to die for the world. It's the most divine thing you've ever seen. Because God is not ultimately a taker. God is ultimately a giver. Down to his bootstraps, if I can put it like that. All the way down. God is giver. All the way down. So to express the kind of God that God is, Jesus comes and he makes himself nothing, verse 7, taking the very nature of a servant, you could say of a slave even, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see this, this comedy shape? From on high, down he comes, down he comes, down he comes. He becomes a, a human, he becomes a human servant, he becomes a human sacrifice. Even in God-forsaken agony, even, even the sacrifice of the cross. This stooping down and down and down. And again, this is not a departure from deity. This is the expression of what it is to be God. I said this uh, uh, back at the beginning of July, but uh, I, I was once uh, doing a talk in uh, Eastbourne, uh, where I'm from in, in the UK, and uh, there was a church that was advertising a talk that I was going to give, and the, and the church office got in touch. They said, we want to make up some publicity, so can you give us the title for your talk? I said, okay, the title for my talk is, What Does It Look Like When God Shows Up? And they said, okay, thank you very much. That's brilliant. And, uh, and I didn't think anything more of it. And uh, during the week, there were a couple of people who said to me, Glenn, have you seen the publicity for this talk? I said, no. They said, you probably should see it. And I didn't take them seriously. I, I didn't really investigate until I showed up on the Sunday morning. A massive billboard outside the church. And uh, this is the big title of my sermon is, uh, is on the billboard. It says, what does it look like when God shows up? And a massive picture of me right there. <laughs> What does it look like when God shows up? This guy. <laughs> like, like a tremendous disappointment for people, right? <laughs> like, like, but as ridiculous as it would be for me to be what it looks like to be God, or for you to be what it looks like to be God, you know, the fundamental picture of what it looks like when God shows up is a human sacrifice with his arms wide open to the world, bleeding for his enemies, praying, Father, forgive. That's, that's what it looks like to be God. That's the supreme biblical picture of God. I don't know which God you believe in this evening. You're, you're very welcome in church, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in many gods or none. It doesn't, don't care about what you bring into church. But let me just challenge you with the Bible's picture of who God is. And according to the Bible, you've never seen anything more divine than Jesus on a cross praying, Father, forgive. You've never seen anything more divine then Jesus, stooping, serving, suffering, bleeding, and dying. What do you reckon? Is, is he the God for you? What do you reckon? I mean, not, not this construct that we have in our heads when we say the word God. We, just, we think of all sorts of unhelpful things. But if this is God, are you in? What do you reckon? Are you in? I'm in. I'm in with both feet if this is what God's like. This God has turned my life upside down. But you might, 
you might be asking the question, well, why, if he is God, why would he do that? Why would he stoop and serve? And why, why would he meet us in this pit? Well, the confronting thing the Bible says is because that's where we are. He meets us in the pit because that's our plight. That's our predicament. According to the Bible, we, we've turned from a God of light, and therefore we're in darkness, right? We've turned from a God of love, and therefore we're in disconnection. We've turned from a God of life, and therefore we're in death. That's where we are, in darkness and death and disconnection. It's quite the pit. And then what does love say? Love says, I'm going to join you in that pit. Let your pit be my pit. Let your darkness be my darkness. Your death be my death. Your disconnection be my disconnection. And Jesus in love joins us in the pit because that's what love does. Takes on himself the debts that we have accrued for all our darkness and death and disconnection. He puts all that nonsense to death on the cross and then, glory of glories, verse 9, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. This is, this is the beautiful twist in the tale, isn't it? We've plumbed the depths and now we reach the heights. Jesus has gone down into that pit and he rises again into glory. And I love that word therefore in verse 9. It's this idea that, that God has seen his eternal son, Jesus Christ, pouring himself out on the cross. And it's this sense of God saying, that's what it looks like to be God. Hey, everybody, I'm going to exalt my son to my right hand so that the whole world will know this is what it looks like to be God. This bleeding sacrifice. And he, he still maintains his wounds post-resurrection to, to show us the depths of his love, a love that took him to hell and back. God raises Jesus from the dead and says, the servant is Lord. The sacrifice is king. What kind of God is this? The God who is giver. The God who is worth everything. And then we finish this song with Paul giving us a vision of the future. And he says, basically he's saying in verses 10 and 11, what happened to Jesus personally is what will happen to the world cosmically. Jesus individually plumbs that depth and goes to that height so that the whole world can plumb the depth and go to the heights. So just as Jesus is exalted to the highest place, then, verse 10, we're looking to the future, that at the name of Jesus in the future, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is looking forward to a day when the, the whole cosmos is raised up on the pattern of Jesus' own resurrection. And... If you are connected to Jesus, then you will be raised according to that same pattern too. And if you've looked to Jesus and you've said, you are Lord, you are what it is to be God, and I want you to be my Lord, my God. If you've said that to Jesus, then what you've done is you've renounced the tragedy and you've embraced the comedy. Because you've basically looked to Jesus and you've said, okay, the whole grasping thing, that's out. That's not the godly way to live. That's, that's not right. Apparently, the, the real way is pouring yourself out, humbling yourself, serving, sacrificing, suffering. Apparently, that's, that's what real life looks like. And so if you've said to yourself, Jesus is Lord, then you've said to yourself, the grasping life of the tragedy is out. The self-giving life of the comedy is in. And you've done what the Bible says is repent and believe. Have you ever heard that language before? Repent and believe. Jesus says it a number of times in the Gospels. He says, this is what it means to come to me. You 
repent, which means you change your mind, okay? You had been thinking tragically. You had been thinking that everything in life was about grasping and grabbing and taking and scratching and killing and getting on top. Repent. Change your mind. Turn that frown upside down, right? It's, you've got to turn it around. Reject the tragedy. And instead, Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Believe that Jesus is Lord. That's good news, right? Believe that the comedy is true. That's good news, right? Christianity is a, it's, it's a worldview of good news, okay? It's all about coming to a tragic world and saying, you thought God was a distant monster. No, he is a self-giving sacrifice. You thought life was about grasping. No, life is about giving. You thought life was a tragedy. No, life is a comedy. Repent. Stop it. Stop, stop thinking that way. Stop living into that lie. Embrace the comedy. So what about you? What about you? Are you ready to, to beat the rush? Because according to verse 10, there'll, there'll be a day coming when everyone will confess Jesus as Lord. It will just fly out of your mouth. It will fly out of your mouth. It will fly out of the, the Muslim mouth. It will fly out of the agnostic mouth. Every, everyone. We won't be able to stop ourselves saying, Lord, Lord, when we see Jesus in all his glory, still bearing those wounds of suffering love, when we see him, we will say, Lord, your neighbors will say, Lord, your work colleagues will say, Lord, your family members will all say, Lord, it will fly out of our mouths. Because it's the most obvious truth in the world. But Paul wants us to, the Bible wants us to, I want us to beat the rush. See, I want you to embrace the comedy now. Because you, if you embrace the comedy now, then to bow to Jesus, that will be heaven. Because that's the way, right? The, the way is going down. The way is serving, suffering, sacrificing. If you've already embraced the comedy, if you know Jesus as Lord, then, then to bow will be heaven for you. But if, if you're committed to the tragedy, it'll be hell to bow. It'll be hell to bow, won't it? If, if you're committed to getting on top, and now you've got to bow, it'll be hell to bow. But Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. So what is it? Is life a tragedy or is life a comedy? Do you think Jesus really is that, that cavalry who's come over the hill? The one person who's promised to save us from this tragedy. Do you think he is the goods? If he's not, then we'll just sink down in this tragedy. But if he is, he's your one shot at the happily ever after. And maybe as I've been speaking, you've started to think, you know what, I think Jesus is the goods. I think he is Lord. If that's started to catch up on you, well, bad luck, you're a Christian. It, it just it sneaks up on you, and that's what happens, right? He gets you like that, okay? And may, maybe, maybe it's been happening to you. Maybe you've seen, okay, if Jesus is, like, is what God is like, I'm in. Well, it's good news, actually. It's good news. It means the tragedy is a lie. It means you can embrace the comedy. It means there is a happily ever after. And in a second, I'm just going to offer a, a prayer that you might want to pray yourself to to start that relationship with Jesus and just to say, Jesus, I recognize that you're Lord. I want to renounce the tragic life of selfishness. I want to embrace your way of self-giving love. It's that kind of prayer. It's the kind of prayer that says, I want to be a Christian, actually. 
So I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to leave some gaps so that you can echo the words in your heart. And then I'm going to pray a second prayer, and it's a prayer that anyone can pray, really, a, a prayer that even if you've been following Jesus for, for decades, you can just say, Jesus, refresh my heart again. Show me the goodness of the comedy. Help me to live the life of self-giving love this week. Should we bow our heads and let me, let me lead us in these two prayers? And let me pray a prayer if, if you really want to connect with Jesus, maybe even for the first time. You might want to offer silently words like this. Lord Jesus, I see that you've come and died and poured yourself out. Lord Jesus, that's amazing. I want you to be my Lord. Thank you that you rose again to give me new life. Jesus, I, I renounce the tragedy. I don't want to live for me anymore. Help me to live your comedy, your life of self-giving love. Fill me with your spirit. And walk with me through life and into your eternity. Amen. And then another prayer. Lord Jesus, we are sorry for so often living tragically, selfishly, grasping. We are sorry for that. And we thank you for the forgiveness that your death has won for us. Jesus, refresh our hearts with a vision of your arms outstretched. Refresh us with a vision of the glory of the cross and help us happily to embrace the comedy of self-giving love. In your name we pray. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.